Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Beautiful Behavior Podcast. I am your host, Diane Sorensen, certified life coach, hypnotherapy practitioner, mother, grandmother, and human fascinated with behavior and how to live our best life. My goal is to offer you another perspective, to see behavior in ourselves, our children, and others from another angle. This podcast is for anyone who wants to feel more connected in their relationships. It's for anyone who feels the pull for something more. It's for parents and those who are not. This podcast is for anyone who wants to take a deeper look because this is where we talk about breaking generational patterns and outdated cultural beliefs, cultivating deeper connections in our life, and leading our life with more confidence and clarity. And I believe that's when beautiful behavior comes into focus. You can learn more about my process, me, and the three different ways in which beautiful behavior could come into focus for you at my website at diannesorensen.net. That's D-I-A-N-E-S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N.net. Okay, listeners, let's go. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about the self-love February deals going on now. Last week, we did some uh, deals on the hypnotherapy, and this week, in honor of February 14. Valentine's Day, you can give yourself the gift of self-love and reclaiming your life, putting more confidence and joy in your life experiences. So we are offering, I am offering um, 14% off of the reinvention program and the reinvention parenting program. So if you want to know more about either of those programs, get on my calendar for a connection call. I can answer your questions and see if it's a good fit. So 14% off uh, in this month of February. All right, let's get into this week's episode, which is an interview with Connie Monroe. Uh, And we'll get into it in the episode, but uh, she talks about her uh, experience with abandonment and divorce and how she was able to turn um, kind of, uh, this messiness into her mission um, and to inspire others to uh, know that you have the power to create change in your life. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. I am excited to welcome and introduce you to a guest that I have on the podcast today, and it is Connie Monroe. So let me tell you a little bit about Connie. 
Connie worked as a director at Merrill Lynch before she decided in 2008 to pursue her ultimate dream of writing and transformational coaching. She's the author of Holding On to Joy Through Abandonment and Divorce, where she wrote about her experiences of abandonment and divorce, which led her to the authentic and fulfilling life she now enjoys in Costa Rica. Um, with her life partner, Martin. Connie is the CEO of Monroe Coaching, which helps women after their divorce and when they either cannot or choose not to have children, enabling women to achieve living their ultimate dream life, even after these adversities. So moreover, she runs women's renewal retreats in Costa Rica, facilitating a lasting new mindset of joy and happiness while surrounded by nature, peace, and tranquility. So welcome, Connie. Thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure um, finally getting to meet you, Diane, and it's just, uh, I'm glad to have this conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, so I have lots of questions for you, but let's just start with, I'm curious. So you were working in corporate America. Um, sounds like you were a successful businesswoman. And so what happened in 2008 that you decided to um, go for your, the things that you desired most, because, you know, we just wake up in the morning and go, gee, I think I'll go for my right. days today. <laughs> so right, tell me right. about how that happened for you. So that was kind of a long journey, but the, the, the clincher with 2008 was the financial crisis. So it was probably more like 2009. Um, and you know, the, the irony of it all was I spent 16 years in the one company um, and the last five or six of those years were the best. I worked with the best people. I got my promotion that I was hoping to get all these years and I, I was managing people. So, um, the thing of it is, uh, you know, the first part of my career, you know, prior to those last five years, I was trying to get out, right? <laughs> I was taking graduate courses um, in psychology. I was playing with the idea of teaching. I, I didn't wanna be in corporate America. I pretty much went there after uh, graduating from university. And you know now I finally land this wonderful job with these wonderful people, but clearly in the financial crisis, it was all deteriorating. You know, And I had already started coming to Costa Rica at that point with, with my partner, Martin, and, and I, um, we were just about to buy a house, I think. Anyway, um, I just thought, well, you know, I have an opportunity and I definitely did have an opportunity. Um, uh, one of the big banks bought us out during that crisis and there was an opportunity. So it was like, take the package or find your job. And I was like, I really talked about it with Martin and I was like, well, I could just take the leap because I wanted to do this all these years. I mean, the 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 desire to write never went away. I was an English major at university and I always wanted to write a book. Um, I found my love of coaching in managing people. So I would now no longer be managing people, but I, I was not writing at that time. You know, I was never going to write this book. You know, I promised myself every day when I get on the train, I'm going to write the book and it never happened. 
So, um, yeah, so I just took the leap and I said, here we go. I'm just going to do it. And it was, it was scary. Isn't that so interesting how you for so long were, were wanting to leave and kind of looking at different avenues. And then when you weren't looking for it, it always happens. It just that way. happened. Right? It always happens that way for me anyway. It, it yes, it seems like it does. Same in my life. Yeah, it wasn't easy. And you know what? In fact, I did go back into corporate America for two years because I was like a fish out of water. But um, no, it's one of the best decisions I ever made. Um, And, you know, I just am so glad that things turned out the way they did. I I truly believe that had I not done it, um, I either would have never, or I, I, I either would have still been writing the book or it would have been a very different book. And I really feel that the book that I wrote uh, really intertwines well with how I want to help people. So that leads us right into, tell us about the book. So it's holding on to joy through abandonment and divorce. Yes. So how did you come to write a book about abandonment and divorce. Okay. So, uh, um, so I told you I left corporate America and then I went back for two years. And when I went back the very first day that I, that I, you know, went off and went back into corporate, I come home not, and Mark, I'm not, don't want to interrupt you, but I'm just oh, no. going to warn everybody that we're the train is going by here. So you're going to hear the train. <laughs> oh, oh, that's okay. Oh, look at that. And I used to take the train every day when I was in corporate America. <laughs> Oh, see, it's just kind of a prop. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No worries. So, um, so the first day back in corporate America, I get home and Martin says, "So, how's the first day?" And I was like, "It's a huge mistake." And so, I hired myself a coach. So we worked together for a couple months, and um, I said, I, "I don't know why I even went back. Why did I go back? And I don't know how to change anything, and I don't know what I'm doing." So she did a, a really good job with me. We did skill sets and talents and all kinds of stuff, interests. And she, at the end of the two months, she came up with a, a couple of recommendations and her favorite recommendation for me. I don't even remember the other two, but her favorite one was, I think that you should combine your love of writing with your love of mentoring people and write a book to launch your coaching career. And I went, oh, that's great. I thought, who does that? Like. Do people do that? And so that was probably in about 2013. So I just thought, well, maybe she's crazy, you know, (laughs) but it kept haunting me and haunting me and haunting me. So for whatever reason, I really don't know why, but for whatever reason, I had been writing, I'd been experimenting, I've been doing different things, but for some reason in 2018, I'm like, this is the year I'm doing it. So my idea was to write about, just write a book of life lessons right? To inspire people to lead better lives, to take the leap of what they wanted to do, whatever it is they want to do, right? So now I'm writing the book and I said, I can do it in a year. I know I can do it in a year. And it became 12 chapters, one chapter a month. And I, you know, by chapter four, I was on target, on target, but by chapter four or five, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm only writing about the life lessons that I learned from my father abandoning me or what I learned from going through my divorce. So I said, you know what, then that's it. Because I can write another book about other things I learned. Let's just keep, I was just determined to write the book. So when I found my editor in 2019, 
I told her how I came about the book and she said, that's great because that's exactly what you should do. You should definitely then, if you want to do a follow-up book, you do a follow-up book on something else. And so here we are, um, you know, uh, it took me probably all of, I was very behind on my schedule with my editor. So all of 2019 goes by and I'm, st I'm almost done editing and then COVID hits. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I could pay my editor anymore. Right. <laughs> so there's all this ups and downs. And I just, I just found a way to do it. And, you know, here we are. And the book, the book came out in 2021. And now I'm spending this year promoting it and trying to, you know, spread the word about, you know, what joy is and, and why, you know, sometimes we have to choose joy. Right. And so, yeah. So I, and I'm, I'm, I am speaking to a lot of people now who are um, going through those two scenarios. Whereas prior to, you know, the book, I would really talk to people more about their careers. You know, uh, as a manager, I was a very big promoter of my people. Um, I believed that if people wanted to get ahead and move on that they should. Um, so, but yeah, this has opened a whole new avenue for me because, um, uh, you know, it's it's all about my past, and in fact, I've I've gifted the book to quite a number of people. One of whom was uh, uh, some of the people that I knew in corporate, and they were like, "Wow, we didn't even know you went through a divorce." <laughs> oh wow! I think that's so amazing. How when you started writing the real story, like your story, just emerged. Yeah. Um, the big, you know, your your biggest story, and so. When I read the title Abandonment and Divorce, I kind of put those two together like, oh, abandonment through divorce. But you talk about abandonment as a child. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, it's interesting that you're uh, pulling that out because one of the reasons I was excited to speak with you is because you talk about, you know, breaking those generational barriers, right? So, you know... When my dad, my dad was, I was very young when he left. So he abandoned the family. I was going on 10 years old. And, um, you know, he was very dysfunctional. So there's a lot of similarities, like in what happened when he left and in what happened when I was going through my own divorce, right? So one of the similarities is um, the last three or four years that he was with us, he was truly with us. He had this whole conversion experience. He stopped drinking. He was a horrible alcohol. Like he was either Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde, right? So he would be either sober and the love of everybody's life. Everybody wanted to be around him or drunk and just a misery. So he was always leaving because what was happening, what was happening with him was he was binge drinking. So he'd be like this normal guy and then he'd be gone like for two weeks. I'm not talking like, oh, he left last night and he didn't get into oh, so the he, he was leaving like over and over and over, over. Yeah. Many times in my, in my childhood, he left. So here it is the last three or four years. He's like this changed person. Um, and I write about it in my book where, you know, my mom had made changes in her life. And I felt like, if, you know, looking back, I felt like maybe she was just an inspiration to him because she stopped worrying about him. You know, my mom's a very prayerful woman. And she's like, you know what? He's yours. And I got to move on with what I've got to do. So here it is right now. I just told you about the story about my corporate life. The last five years or so, 
uh, were like my favorite, but I'm leaving anyway. So anyway. Um, right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So there's a lot of synchronicity there. But when he left, um, you know, I like it was a blessing because he kept doing these things, right? He kept leaving us and he kept being violent. And then, but it was, it was a bittersweet thing because here it was three, four years. You go three, four years of completely convert, converting your life. Like he was so dependable. He became a man of the church. He, he went and uh, converted to Catholicism. Like people in the community depended on him for things. And so it's like, um, it's like, you know, it's like some of the people in the community said, like they said to my mom, um, wow, a lot of people are going to lose their faith because how could that happen? Right. How can this person recreate their life and then fall back on the bandwagon? He basically went out and got drunk one night and that was the end of it. And then that was the end. So he fell off the bandwagon. He left for a while. We didn't hear from him. And I do remember one day, you know, there was about an hour between when um, I got home from school and my mom got in from work and I'm sure he knew that. So he called and he said, so I hadn't seen him or talked to him for two weeks. And he's like, so what do you think about dad coming home? And I'm like nine years old. Right. And I'm like, I don't know. And I never saw or heard from him again. In 25 years, there were exactly two phone conversations. So that's what the abandonment was all about. And, you know, I, looking back as an adult, I see a lot of people who were very kind, uh, my family, for sure, they were worried about me, but you know what? You don't miss what you don't have. I never really had a dad. He was, except for the last three years, right? Except for the last, let's give him, you know, his due. But uh, yeah, so we re- ended up reconnecting later on. That's another part, but that was the abandonment. He, he definitely left. And then um, it, you know, 25 years later, I sort of, looked him up and reconnected. It's almost like um, there was that all or nothing with him. Like yes. there, he was either all the one way Absolutely. or he was completely overcompensating the other way. Absolutely. And then back to the, yeah. 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 Totally. Cause I, I, I talk about that a lot here too, is, you know, that all or nothing mentality. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So then you, so I want to ask you this too. Do you think abandonment can be, it can be that physical abandonment, like you were saying, you, you know, that for one thing, you know, he could be over and over again, or it can be just one big, you know, now they're gone. Yeah. I'm also wondering about, couldn't, can it be, um, because like you were talking about before he actually left, can it be like emotional neglect or, you know, that they're there physically, yeah. but not emotionally. Can that yeah, be abandonment? Uh, that's totally, that's totally abandonment. I mean, that's, um, I experienced a little bit of that with my ex-husband when we were going through the divorce. Uh, we're actually, yeah, it was when we were going through the divorce. It was like, all of a sudden I was this person he didn't know. And I was like, but he didn't really do that in a marriage, right? So I think he was trying to distance himself emotionally from me because he just didn't, you know, I don't know, whatever, didn't want to be friends or whatever. But I do hear people's stories sometimes um, talking about what they want out of their marriage and so forth. And and a lot of times it's like one or the other person are are like mentally or emotionally abandoning their spouse or their significant other. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, 
that's what I try to help people with, you know, like there's so many, I just, I asked that because I think there's so many of us that, you know, really didn't have that emotional support in childhood, you know, because of, you know, that's just not how we did it back then, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, go to your room and deal with your distress <laughs> by yourself, you know, yeah. you, you know, don't, don't cry. And you yeah. know, all of that stuff. It was more of a, we learned to suppress emotions where now we're mm. kind of starting to learn to, uh, you know, this, we need to connect with our emotions, but I, you know, I almost think then, you know, that, that a lot of us, and maybe we don't think about it in these with that word abandonment, but you know, that I think that is really true for maybe many people who have really never thought about that. Yeah, no. And it's true. And I think that sometimes too, uh, sort of in the way that I sort of stayed for, you know, 16 years of the same company, you get into this pilot mode, right? So maybe in the beginning, if you're feeling emotionally neglected or something, you know, you fight against it and then you just sort of say, well, this is the way it is. And I'll, I talk to, I've talked to, you know, a number of people who I'm like, you know, I don't, is that like your ultimate life, right? Why are you an autopilot? Like, you know, and so, you know, I'm divorced. I'm not an advocate of divorce. Absolutely not. I mean, totally not. I, I think when two people marry, it's like one of the most amazing things. I really do. Uh, you know, two people getting together and making that commitment in front of their family and in front of their friends, nobody's asking you to, you don't even have to, right? <laughs> but when they do that, that's amazing to me. So I'm all for seeing what's wrong there. Every single marriage, every single relationship goes through something. But, you know, I'm, I'm not an advocate, well, I'm not an advocate for divorce. I'm certainly an advocate for living your fullest life. And if, you know, you can't really do that if you're like emotionally corrupt, you know, <laughs> like somebody's emotionally corrupting you, or if you're, you know, if you're not in it, if you're not the one in it, maybe you're the one who's not in it, right? You've got to be in it. I know these great people down here. They're wonderful friends of ours. And they were telling us about how they met. This is a couple of years back and they're like, it wasn't just yes, it was blankety blank blank, yes. Like, yes, I choose you. Blankety blankety, yes, over and over again. And that's that takes work. That just doesn't just stay. But if if you you have to be able to work together, right? Yeah. And I'm divorced too. Um, and so I have had that experience also. Um, and I think the non the emotional non-awareness that both of us had just really played into those relationship issues um and you know I really I I didn't want the divorce um and I you know but being on the other side is like oh wow you know you don't realize how you're living sometimes until you take absolutely. a step back. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and it's kind of like, why was I living that way? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, and can abandonment lead to, well, I don't know, how anxiety plays into all this? Oh, yeah. So I, so, okay. So in my book, I'm always talking about joy. Like I, I, my, in my preface, I say I was born happy. 
And I think that I sort of just inherited that from both of my parents. My mom was like a woman before her time. She did a lot of things in her youth that, you know, for a woman in the 1950s, like, you know, she, she has so many great stories. And then on my dad's side, you know, he was, he was, his nickname as a child was Smiley. And, you know, I can sit here, we could actually do a whole nother show uh, on his childhood because (laughs) he, he had nothing to smile about, you know, his mother died when he was 18 months old and um, he was given away to adoption at the age of six because his father was going to remarry to a woman who didn't want kids. I mean, and then, and then as if that's not bad enough, it just got really worse from there. So I was born with both my parents' genes where it's like, you know, my grandfather used to say to my mother, take your rose colored glasses off. You know, she was like in a change the world. And she, in my opinion, she certainly has. And then, then you have this guy smiley, right? So I never, ever in my life, I had down moments, certainly when my father left and then a few things through the divorce process happened. I got me like a little disturbed, you know, at age 12 or 13, but I'd never been what I call down the rabbit hole, never until um, the whole thing happened, right? So the, what had happened was we, there, were infertility, there were infertility issues. And then we went through this whole three, four year process and we said, if it didn't work out, we're going to go on this big vacation. We're going to go to Europe. We've never been to Europe. Two weeks after the vacation, he's going to leave me for another woman. And I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> That's when I went down the rabbit hole. All of a sudden, I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't interesting enough. I wasn't slim enough. I, there, I was not enough. And the anxiety that came with that, you know, I would, I do know (laughs) (laughs) it was, I'd never. So now of course I'm experiencing this anxiety and I'd known people in my life who had that, you know, and, and insomnia, right. I'm, I can sleep on a picket fence, you know, any time of the day, night, whatever. And those two things were eating me alive. And I, I, you know, I even talked to a couple of people in my life who I knew struggled with this stuff. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I never knew it was this bad. (laughs) I never knew that could be that bad. And it was bad. That's interesting because I, on the other hand, lived most of my life, but really all that I can remember not being enough. Mm. And it does create a huge anxiety about, you know, sure. You know, you, you, you've got to control what, how everybody else sees you. And you know what, there's a, there's a phrase I live by um, since writing the book, I heard it. I heard it when I was writing the book and I say it a lot now, comparison is the thief of joy. The minute That's, you start comparing it. yourself to somebody out goes your joy. Absolutely. How can we compare ourselves to somebody? There's only one of us, right? There's only one of you. There's only one of me. So why are you comparing yourself to anybody? This is it. You can't right. get more unique than that. Right, got all these messages in childhood that be like everybody else. I know, (laughs) right? I know, and it all came up for me in my divorce. You know, I was thirty-five. You're still young. Oh my gosh, you could get married and have babies. Come on, and I'm like, yo, I just want to get through the divorce. Really, I just spent the last four years of my life trying to have a baby, and now I'm trying to make sense of all of this. And I, I don't. The last thing I want to do is get married and have a baby. You know, that was the, and that was um, an overwhelming message to me by many people. 
you can get married. Oh, oh, you'll be fine. You're 35. Yeah. You can get married, and have babies, yeah. get well, remarried. You'll have kids, you know, do the who, whole thing. Who, who says I wanted to do that? You know, when I was a young kid, I was one of the kids in the group in my, I always had a lot of girlfriends and, you know, I was the one in the, in the little kid group, like, you know, yeah, dolls were fun to play with, but I wasn't going to get married and I wasn't going to have babies. I really wasn't. I was going to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. <laughs> it did not work, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But so then of course, you know, you grow older and you fall in love and you, you know, oh, I, maybe I should have a baby and, you know, uh, but yeah, society was definitely telling me, you know, in the midst of all this anxiety that, Hey, we'll just get married and have babies. Now you'll be fine. And I just started to really look, life became for me in the middle of my divorce, very precious, very precious. And it's funny because I was really, really on the, um, you know, the, what we call the pity pot. I was on the pity pot for like weeks, months on end. And one day um, after work where I like barely got through another day of work and I came home and I took up my college uh, habit of smoking again. I'll have like some wine and some cigarettes after work. And uh, the phone rings and it's my cousin. And she's weeping. Now, my cousin uh, is still practicing nurse. She was, she's a very good nurse. She knows prognosis. She's weeping. I said, oh my God, I'm the one who should be weeping. And I'm like weeping every night on the phone to people because I'm like, so my life is horrible, right? I said, Beth, what's the matter? What's the matter? Please tell me. Our other cousin, her sister was diagnosed with breast cancer. And if she was weeping that hard, I knew it was bad because she knows prognosis. And you know, thankfully, you know, she's fine. I, my cousin had a, a good couple of years that were really hard. We were all really worried. But when I got off that phone, I said, you know what, girl, you're not going to die from this divorce. Do not insult your cousin and sit here every night with a pack of cigarettes and a bottle of wine. Put your running sneakers on and go. And I think that's so true. When we think about in, you know, even just other times in our life, like when we're just that emotional discomfort, like even when our kids do things and we're like, oh my God, you know, I'm a terrible mom or, you know, whatever. Um, but it's like, okay, we are not going to die from this discomfort, you know, and I really learned to, you know, I was in fear all the time. Like I said, you know, I had all this anxiety all the time. Um, but what I learned to do is embrace the fear and do the thing anyway, because otherwise I was never going to get anywhere. I was just going to be all the time, but, and I had to remind myself in those early days, um, you know, this is not going to kill me. It just feels really uncomfortable. horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things you talk about is how all this led you to your most authentic life. And I just wanted to ask you what that means to you, because I get a lot of times people ask me, you know, what is authentic? Like, what, you know, what does that mean? And I, I, me too. I mean, at, there was a time where I'm like, well, am I two people or what does that mean? Authentic? How do you know? <laughs> yeah. Now, well, so what, uh, what do you, how do you explain the, the biggest, the biggest proponent proponent of leading an authentic life is being absolutely honest with yourself. 100% honest with, and that's the first chapter of the book is be honest with yourself. Cause I really felt like when I was writing it, I was like, my father wasn't honest with himself. He was, he, by the way, his marriage to my mother was his second marriage. He abandoned another family and, and he was put up for adoption at the age of, so you would think somebody like that would never do that to their family. Right. 
So I think, I don't think my father was ever, ever honest with himself. And looking back, um, I had gotten, um, I had gotten into this habit of doing, um, the society thing, right? The thing, uh, you, you talk about it uh, a lot. I, I, I was listening to a previous podcast of yours where you talk about, well, you know, you get, you get it in your ear about what society says is, is what, what you should do. Oh, well, well, how old are you? Oh, you should be getting married soon. Oh, how right. old are you? Oh, you should be having babies soon. And, um, so I was not being honest with myself. I really wasn't. I think the biggest proponent of leading an authentic life is to be 100% honest with yourself, even when you don't want to be, even when you don't want to be like, you know, there, there, you know, you get so wrapped up into whatever people, whatever people are saying around you and you want to, and I was a total people pleaser. So, you know, when, when I met my ex-husband and, you know, my, my previous, uh, my college sweetheart was like not acceptable. Uh, and then, you know, this ex-husband comes along and he's acceptable. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm pleasing my family. Well, that's crazy. Right. You're going right. to marry this person. Like who cares what they think? <laughs> not yeah, not that I you think- shouldn't listen to, you know, opinions and stuff, but you know what I'm saying? It's right. Right. And I love that because it really is about telling yourself the truth about your own life. And I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in the stories in our head that we can't even decipher, I think sometimes, or we're too afraid to look at the truth. And that was certainly true for me because I had this whole perfectionist uh, persona I was putting yeah. on and you know we had the perfect family yeah. and all of this stuff yeah. and then you know what happens though is eventually the truth comes out sideways and it, it will it, it all falls apart and that was such a relief too because I realized how exhausting this persona was yes. and then you know that's really when I when I went on my journey to you know fine. You know, what is authentic about myself? You know, I was so disconnected, but I love that. Um, telling the yeah. truth about your, and what you really want to be doing and what you really want to be. Doing. And, you know, I think that what happened with my ex-husband was, um, you know, so he made this declaration that he was going to leave me. And it was like a really big summer. We had like two weddings and a family. Re- we had all this stuff going on. I said, no, you know, you made the commitment, give me the summer. If after the summer you're done and you don't want to stay, I will help you move out. And so September 1st rolls around and he, he decided he wasn't going. So we really worked on it for three years, but the thing of it is, um, it, it was not genuine, right? So three years later, there was an incident where I realized he wasn't being true. And it was like, it was like, man, the minute I realized that because now he was doing it, right? And and honestly, his behavior toward me was great. Like he, there, he gave me no evidence that he didn't want this. But it's another example of how do we do this to ourselves? You know, like I gave you the whole summer. If you don't know, then just walk away and figure it out or something. But that's not what happened. And I'm sure there were lots of people in his corner as well saying, no, you don't want to do this or whatever. But honestly, you have to, you ha- even if it hurts, you have to be honest with yourself. Yeah. So let's talk about joy. So how do we choose joy through these, you know, challenges and adversities and without, you know, ignoring the truth of what's going on? So how do we choose joy? Talk about that. 
that is not always an easy thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. If you look joy up in the dictionary, it basically says gladness, uh, not based on circumstance. So, um, so then you go, well, I don't have that. And that's not true because, um, you know, one of the things that I learned through all that really, really rough time, like as a kid, when I was abandoned, right? Like I just felt like, you know, everything's going to be okay. But then when I went down the rabbit hole and I got the call from my cousin and a few other things happened, I realized, you know, happiness and joy are two different things, right? Happiness comes and goes. It's normal, right? You know, you get fired from your job. You're not going to be happy, right? But you can choose joy. You can choose joy. Uh, how do you do it? I, you know, uh, one of the ways that I suggest in my book doing it is giving back. If you're feeling like your joy is depleting, give someone else something they need. That's the biggest thing I tell people. You know, they're like, it's just joyless life. I'm like, no, it's not. You got to make, it's like that relationship, right? We were just talking about how two couples, two people come together to be a couple they need to work on that. You need to work on it. And like, that takes the romance out of it, right? It takes the romance out of uh, joy. Well, when, what the heck is the use of choosing joy? Choose joy every time and you will be happier. Yeah, so I think it's like contribution, right? It's like contributing. Yeah. And I noticed that when we were, when I was back, um, when I was teaching and we would have children contribute to the classroom, you know, like it was not my classroom and I made up all the rules and, you know, it was our classroom and all the kids got to contribute and eat the ones that were the most challenging. We would find some extra ways for them to contribute. And that was such a game changer for them. So I do believe that contributing to others um, and not in a way of pleasing or getting something out of it. No. But just contributing really is joyful. It really is. And you know, that was one of the things, that was one of the other synchronicities that happened in my life is when my parents were getting, dad left, actually right before, the year before he left, I got into cheerleading. And my coach, I only did it because I admired my cousin who was cheering at another school and she was my like idol. She still is actually. (laughs) And so um, I said, I'm going to be a cheerleader just like her. My coach treated us like athletes, right? So here it is that changed my life, right? Uh, Because the next year dad was gone and I just threw myself into it. Over the course of four years, I, I got like 50 trophies. We went to Chicago to compete. It was an amazing life experience. It was really good for me to have that at that time. Flash forward to when I'm 35 years old and I'm going through a divorce and I go to, I was going to church, I'm Catholic and I I see the bulletin and there's like this head cheerleading coach thing that's sitting there and telling my mom about it. She's like, get on the phone with the athletic director. Why are you telling me? So here it is all these years later, I'm now, I didn't even think, so Diane, this wasn't a thing where I said, now, if I, this will make me feel better. I just knew it was the right thing to do. And then after I told my, because the, the, the cheerleading story is actually pretty amazing. When I told the athletic director, the story is like, you're it. He's like, I don't want anybody else. You're the head coach. And I'm like, oh my gosh, should I, like, I was a little nervous about it because there was a, you know, a, a assistant coach, but no, here it is all these years later. And now I'm doing the coaching thing thinking, oh, this will be great. You know, I can, I can do this. And now, and then I started thinking about it. I'm like, I can give back. I can give back. If I could give one little girl 
right? Two minutes of what that woman gave me, I'm a success. Well, guess what, Diane? The whole thing backfired because those kids gave me more than I could have ever given them. Absolutely, hands down. And I did not expect that. So where can people find you? So um, everybody, you got to get this book. <laughs> um, I, I really encourage you. And we'll put all the links in the show notes too. Um, but yeah, just tell everybody where they can find you. And- sure. So my last name is Monroe, like Marilyn. I often um, tease that she was my aunt. Uh, M-O-N-R-O-E. <laughs> so monroecoaching.com. That's my website. And my book is available on Amazon. It's both available, I think, uh, electronically just on Kindle, and then you can get the hard copy as well. Um, so paperback. Great. Well, thank you. So I'd love so to just. Much. I could keep talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> this was so much fun, Diane. I really appreciate it. it oh, I think. Thank you so much for being here. This was this was great. Yeah, All right, everybody. You. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Beautiful Behavior Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show or previous shows, I would so appreciate you subscribing and leaving a review. I am so grateful for all of you listeners who are joining me here for these conversations because I believe it's through these type of conversations that we start to shift the paradigm, creating a more loving and compassionate world. I hope you will join me here each week as we discover new ways to show up in our lives and create a bigger impact. And if you are ready to take this to the next level, head on over to my website at diannesorensen.net. Again, that's D-I-A-N-E-S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N.net. Get on my calendar and see how you can be supported and if we're a good fit so that you can get out of survival and into thrival. Change is possible, and I've got you.